0: Okay, so you have a new book out. Tell everyone about it.
1: Yes, uh, the new book is called Let the Wild Grasses Grow. It's inspired by my grandma and Grandpa Cordova, Della Chavez and, and John Cordova, and it's kind of a look at what would happen to them if I, if these two favorite people in my life lived, or, well, they did live during the 1920s, but what, what could I envision happen to them throughout that time? You can pick it up at org or anywhere else that you buy your books, preferably independent bookstores. Thanks. So this is Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. We're talking again with Teresa Dovo-Page about her new book, Death and the... the, It's the Perseids. Is it the Perseids?
0: I wasn't sure myself how to pronounce it because I have heard the two pronunciations, Perseids, Perseids. So I said, whatever.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm, going to go with Perseids. All right. We'll see if that works for me. Uh, Teresa... Uh, I was born in Havana, Cuba. She earned her BA in English literature and an MA in Spanish literature at the University of Havana and her PhD in Latin American literature at the University of New Mexico. She is the author of 13 other books of fiction and three plays, and is the winner of the Rincon de la Victoria Award and a finalist for the Heralde Award. Is it the Heralde Award? And she lives in New Mexico. And this is the second time we get to talk to Teresa and it's it's always a pleasure. We talked probably, but Gosh, it's probably been a year and a half or two years ago when we did the first book or the other book of your multiple books. And um, Teresa is going to read a little bit from the new book today and then we're going to chat about it. Of course, chat about mystery and chat about the sequels that are coming out because I want to know the answers to all of them uh, before she even gets to, to publish them. So go ahead and let's let's hear some of the book.
0: Okay, So I start. Okay. Las Lágrimas de San Lorenzo, that's what we call them in Spanish. In English, it's a perfect met your shower. I prefer the tears of St. Lawrence, though they remind me of those I shed for my Lorenzo, who died roasted like his namesake. Do you know the story of St. Lawrence the martyr? He was a Roman deacon, condemned to be burned alive in a gyrton. In the middle of his torment, he said to the executioner, and well done on this side. You can turn me over now. What did Lorenzo say while he was being cooked? Did he suffer? Did he ever forgive me? And now we go to chapter one. The cruise ship, now all 12 decks of her, towered above the terminal building. It had a festive air, with the heart painted white and bright ribbons of red, yellow, and green flashed all over. From a distance, it looked like a giant tropical bird that had inexplicably landed on water. August in Miami was, as usual, 94 degrees with a devilish mix of heat and humidity that made you want to crawl inside a refrigerator. Nautilus' instructions said to be at Terminal B before noon, but it was well past one and the line to enter the building wasn't moving. It was worse than being an airport for us. Then I remembered that we had no right to complain. After all, we had gotten the cruise for free. I was still scratching my head about the whole thing. It all began when a young woman showed up at Pretty and Pampered the pet grooming salon where I worked part-time, asking for me. She looked like a teenager, but dressed professionally in a beige suit. and introduced herself as an hotel's representative. I was getting ready to give a summer cut to Standard Poodle when she presented me with an embossed envelope and quit Congratulations, I'm You just won two cruise tickets to Havana. I was born and raised in Havana. After marrying Nolan in 2008, I had returned many times to visit my grandmother, but never thought of taking a cruise back. And in July 2017, sailing to Cuba was the last thing on my mind. I've won what? I asked. The poodle took advantage of my surprise to get away and hide under a chair. A couple of tickets, the girl shook, perky as could be. About the another one, our most popular ship, the cruise departing of August 10th. The Charles Cruise Line had started to offer short cruises that included Cuba in their itineraries, she explained. They were carrying out their biggest ever promotional campaign with many giveaways. I was one of the lucky winners. Cool, huh? Eh? What that chick didn't say was how and where I had signed up for the raffle or whatever it was that I had won. Okay, so that's how it starts. And then we find out exactly what happens when Mercedes gets in that cruise ship that she wasn't really that sure she had entered uh, in the raffle that, that she won.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is—I mean—it's intriguing from the beginning because we get we get the mystery. I mean, there's a mystery, like how do you get on a cruise ship? And the funny thing when I thought about this is you get these phone calls all the time or emails where they say you actually won, and you never you never return them. You think, no, I don't think I don't remember like putting my name in that, and I know that it's a scam. Um, And I so I think while reading that first part, I thought this is a scam. This has got to be a scam. And I think for the readers, I think that's something you wanted, wasn't it? Kind of that initial gut feeling
0: yeah well i wanted to create that suspense is it is it's a legitimate offer or there is something obscure there and then of course i wanted the reader to think that there was something suspicious about the whole thing but not to know exactly
1: mm-hmm.
0: what it was
1: yeah and then we and then we end uh your protagonist uh, mercedes she goes on to the Um, to the cruise with her current husband who is, of course, another wrinkle and I think, uh, it's not getting too far into it by saying this, but another wrinkle, of course, is he's just lost his job. He's kind of looking for other work and so they're having issues and so then we're thrown on a cruise ship to uh, Cuba and my question with this too is, again, and I love the mysteries, you know, I mean, I could never write mystery, I can never write fantasy or sci-fi. I know that, but where did where did this one come from and i i mean i think in the book you you laid out really well of why it needs to be a cruise ship instead of a flight you know something easy to get there uh, there needs to be an extended travel or stuck on the boat or whatever it might be but where did this one come from and then if you wanted to chat about a little bit about the sequels that are that are on their way and where you are with those that'd be great yeah well the idea came
0: from cruises that i have taken uh, my husband and I love to uh, go on cruises because everything is there. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about food. I uh, don't have to worry about excursions. Everything is planned. But I always go looking around, like what shenanigans are going on <laughs> while we are here, mm-hmm. and there is always that in the back of my mind, like what well, if something were to happen here? We are all trapped together. We cannot go anywhere. We cannot. We cannot escape the the ship and so that's kind of where the the original idea came from uh, when we were in a cruise ship ourselves and at the same time it was when the first cruises to cuba started so i think 2016 or or 2018 early 2018 then of course i like to write about cuba mm. and so well let's see what happens in a cruise to Cuba. it's a very short cruise but mm-hmm. lots of things can happen Uh, in this uh, day, a couple of days that it takes to get there.
1: And it would be, it would just be a couple of days, right? Because you're leaving from Miami, heading south, obviously. And so there, was that the first, that was the first year is 2018 where they started making that trip from Miami?
0: I I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because I went and and consulted the itinerary was a real Mm -hmm. itinerary. And most of them were cruises that included Cuba. There were some, I was just to Cuba, and there were some like the ones that I described in, in the novel that went to Cuba, and then the Bahamas, and just a short uh, Caribbean uh, cruise of several islands. So, yeah, it was taken from a real uh, cruise itinerary.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the idea of like being on the cruise ship, and because you do see weird things, like I've, we've gone on a few. And you always kind of like if you stay up late enough you're going to see some really really random weird things on cruises. Um since our boy is so young it's been a long time since I've stayed up late enough. But I remember just walking through the cruise and it's it, you're right it's like a little city. And anything can happen in a little city, especially a little city where everybody is absolutely trapped in the little city. And so it was was when you're thinking about this mystery, well when you were on a cruise where you think oh my gosh this is this is great because the world is so small. It's a small world to write within, and that's that's a that's a benefit, right?
0: Yeah, and well, part of the story is also that I have a friend who went on a cruise to Cuba. Mm-hmm. So I hope I made it realistic enough because the entertainment that I described and the the world, you no, know, that 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 I tried to recreate was based on a real mm-hmm. cruise that went to Cuba. The one that um, she went to was the uh people to people programs that was established i think yeah either 2016 or 17 and so the entertainment and the fact that people were not really uh supposed to do a lot on their own but they work with guides most of the time so i I tried to replicate what happens in in real life in the real world that i created in in the novel Mm
1: -hmm. Where did you get this idea? I, I find it interesting, but where did you get this idea for? And I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but it comes pretty early on, um, where the novel is stolen and then printed in somebody else's name, and you know, as from a writer's perspective, that's like, oh my gosh, that sounds like the worst thing in the entire world. Or somebody writes a novel and somebody steals it and publishes it, and it becomes like famous and like, like a cultural icon, which which the book uh, kind of becomes within within the book. Was this a well, that's the worst
0: nightmare that yeah. we can have our writers, no? Yeah. So it, it I is. Guess that's where it came
1: from. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was wondering. Like if what's your worst nightmare? And it it's like, well I'm just gonna make it come true because you know anybody who's a writer read that and I was like, no, that's no, that's the worst thing ever. As did that was that sparked by anything or was it just sparked by your own nightmares? Well
0: that part of the book now that I think of it also came in a conversation I have from a Cuban friend of mine and he said you know we are so isolated here sometimes we are so unprotected that somebody can steal my manuscript and I will never have proof that it was mine because mm-hmm. there is so little access to internet well there is more now but couple, even up to four years ago it was really difficult so we don't have them. no I send the manuscript and you can Proved by looking at my email, but so it was that that sense of not being super protected in Cuba that uh, you don't have anything like copyright. Somebody can take the book. So I think that was in the back of my mind when mm-hmm. when I was uh, writing the book. That conversation I had with my friend, with a Cuban writer.
1: Yeah. So not too long ago, it would have been just a hard copy uh, that somebody would have had. And could have easily stolen because I think I mean this is in the 2000s, so this is not that long ago at all. Um, that's interesting to know. That's really interesting. Now, when did the so you said like four years ago? But when did like internet access really become really available in Cuba? Uh,
0: I'd say like ten years ago it started, mm-hmm. and it but it's really in the last three or four years that people are doing the, what they call the direct task, that is a live uh, transmission. And it has been used in the demonstrations, the recent demonstrations. Uh, people were able to get the word all over. Oh, see what's happening here, mm-hmm. thanks to the internet. But even 10 years ago, it wasn't that easy because the internet access was so limited. And many people didn't have their phones. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Are there yes. still a lot of restrictions now or is it is it pretty open?
0: There are still a lot of restrictions and it's it's really difficult because there's only one company called ETEXA mm-hmm. that controls all the internet access. So if Etexa decides to just delete an account or or block an account, there is nothing you can do. And of course Etexa is, is owned by the government.
1: Uh huh, right. And that changes everything that changes the freedoms of the internet and everything. That's really, that's really, really interesting. And, um, I wanted to ask a question about the size of Havana because like within the book, there's a search, you know, there's a search for someone in the book. I won't give it away. And, you know, is with the size of that city, is it still uh, easily navigable to really go out and, and look for somebody or, or, um, or is it too big to be able to maybe just find somebody like a needle in a haystack thing?
0: Well, it depends on which part of the city you are. So in Old Havana, where the the ship arrives, is the El Puerto de la Habana. That area is very easy to walk. Mm-hmm. It's kind of difficult to get lost in in Old Havana you now because there is. the the port there is the the ocean there Mm -hmm. and in the really old part of the city where the cathedral is and all the real streets around it so that area is it's kind of easy to navigate by by uh, on foot now when we get to Centro habana where i used to live Mm -hmm. and to la quinta de los molinos which is a kind of a botanical garden and well, it plays a very important role in, in the story. It is quite easy to get lost inside mm-hmm. that botanical garden because it's kind of big for at least for Havana. And there are so many trees and corners. It when I was a child, I, I grew up like three blocks from La Quinta los Molinos. Mm-hmm. There was kind of like a wetland. A place that we were always told, no, don't get there because you can sink in mm-hmm. como un pantano, like a swamp. Era el, el pantano de la quinta. I don't think that exists anymore. I think right. they dried that song, but it always had that aura of mystery mm-hmm. that something bad could happen there. Don't get too close. Now it's more a touristy place at, at this point. Uh, I was there. Two years ago, right before the pandemic, that was the last place I visited mm-hmm. was Havana to see my mother. And it looks much better now, but it still it's not a place that you'd like to visit at night. Right. And there is, there are no lights. The only lights are in the street, but once you enter the botanical garden that is protected by, by uh, fence and iron uh, fence and a gate, once you enter there, hmm,
1: it's yeah. It could be really sketchy, or you just kind of don't want to be there at night, and which makes sense for the book too, because you know somebody could disappear. Somebody could disappear pretty easily, especially if they don't know their way around at all. Uh, which I love that part. Well, I'm not going to give it too much away because it is a mystery. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask too a lot about your protagonist, like Mercedes. Um, she, I think, that at the heart of this book, she's she feels so much shame. I mean, for so many different reasons and then kind of places blame on herself because of that shame all the way through. And just from my reading, that really kind of kept her from seeing things clearly with all of her relationships. Where did you come up with her? And I mean, am I reading that right? The part with her, she just kind of blames herself for so many things where that's really not her.
0: Yeah, well, Mercedes is based on several real people that I know. And yeah, there is always that sense that Mm, at least in a couple of cases that you, uh, they gave up a lot to come here. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they say, well, what is If I had not taken this road, would my life be different? So, and uh, did I do the right thing? I think most of us that have left our countries always have this question, did we do the right thing? Mm-hmm. And in the case of Mercedes, there is shame and there is guilt because there was love involved. <laughs> yeah. And so that changes the, the game. And I try to portray her as kind of a sympathetic character. Mm-hmm. She's not really taking advantage of the the guy that she uses her husband to get out of Cuba. But she's not totally blameless either. Right. And it's that position in which many of us uh, we're in Cuba. We want to live. How do we live? Hmm. There are limited options, and when Mercedes uses her beauty so as a way to get out of Cuba, but it had to to be balanced. I mean, there was that element that I still kind of comes back to to make her feel real shame of what she did, teaching mm-hmm. her her boyfriend for this American guy. But there is also part of the love. She, she was also attracted to to her husband because, well, wasn't an un Americano, no, the, mm-hmm. the power thing. So in that sense, I, I tried to be as as affair as I could with my character, not una aprovechada, somebody mm-hmm. just taking right. advantage of guys, but not an innocent overheated. died.
1: Sure. Well, and I thought, I, I found her move through kind of like her memories as really authentic because we've all done that. I mean, haven't we, we've all kind of like made decisions about love 20, 30 years ago. And with those decisions, you know, of course, at the time we feel like it's the right thing, but then of course we doubt everything ever, ever, you know, since, you know, we say, well, I don't know if that was, I loved that person, but that person wasn't right for me at that time. And we make a decision and then 30 years later, you know, or in her case it wasn't much that much long, much, much, too, too many years later that, uh, That she, she doubts herself, you know, and, and she feels that blame for it. But I think that's really, I think that's really real. Like you said, it's like, we're not all, you know, she's not all bad and she's not all good and she's responsible for her decisions as well, but she's not responsible for other things too. So that's what I liked about it. But she really did like, she molded this stuff over in her brain a lot. She always, she was asking herself, what did I do? What did I do? Why did I do that over and over again? And I think that made for a really intriguing, like, time uh, with her throughout the book that went, you know, really, really quickly where she's like, oh, she did love him. And she also loved her husband. And then she had almost had an affair with somebody else in there, but then she didn't. And she just really mulls that over. And I think that's really, really human. So I'm thinking with your, okay, so how did, so you were, we kind of talked the other name. And you wrote this one, and this was a complete book. But then now we have sequels on the horizon. Uh, where are you? Yes. And that's got to be that's got to be great. First off, that's congratulations. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, yeah. And then, you know, where are you? And is it easy? That's a. Is it easy to create a sequel on a book that you never planned writing a sequel about?
0: Well, in this case, it was kind of uh, set up in advance. There is a part about a Mercedes mother that in at the end of this book says, well, I want to go back and look for my mother because mm-hmm. in several occasions in this book, uh, it is mentioned the fact that, that her mother disappeared when Mercedes was a little girl. So I thought, well, that I'm going to just uh, leave it a little murky here. We, we will not exactly what happens because that's what's going to happen be the plot of the next book Mm -hmm. the uh, tentative title the working title is uh, last seen in havana because that's the last place where mercedes mother was was seen Mm -hmm. and so she goes back to see her grandmother and to look for for her mother and that's the topic of that's the plot of the second book the one that i'm working on right now Mm -hmm. and then of course we see the same characters we see the grandmother Mamina. Mercedes and Candela, her friend, that this time Candela goes with her to Cuba, but they don't go on a cruise this time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the what, the 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 taxi driver? Does he make an appearance of in the course. next? Oh yeah, because I really liked his character, and I was thinking <laughs> at first, like, is this guy going to be shady? I was. Is he going to be? Is he going to turn around and be like? Uh, uh, like he's is he gonna you know trick them but he didn't he he was just kind of kind and I like that and he helped him out and you and the character keeps asking well how do you know all these things and he says well I was this and I was this beforehand but he he'll, he'll be in the second book is that what you're saying because yeah, I really
0: I'm, Satyadeva will yeah. also help me portray a side of Cuba that not many people know about mm-hmm. which is the metaphysical movement there right. in the nineties when. There was a little bit more of a freedom of religion up to 1991, say, going to say to church. Any church was not um, advisable, it was not well regarded, it's really that you could get in trouble. But then in the 90s, when the Pope uh, went to Cuba, that started opening a little bit. And then a lot of metaphysical groups, uh, flourished at that time and mm-hmm. uh, they got well at that time nobody was talking yet about the law of attraction but there was the positive thinking and manifestation and visualization and all that and it was incredible the amount of people that were interested in that because it had been suppressed for so long mm-hmm. so in the second book and probably the third one because there will be a third one that is a topic is this group of the group of metaphysicals mm-hmm. and the things that happened there the, most of the times people think of Cuban think santeria you know the, the voodoo thing sure and I'm guilty of using it a lot in my novels too because well that's really that's a part of, of our culture but what people don't know is about the metaphysical uh, side of of Cuba
1: yeah and that's and that's like you said it was it's like a renaissance of it of any time of spi- yeah, spirituality. In the last what was this last ten years five years
0: for this? Probably twenty years. Twenty years, I think it started yeah. In in the early nineties, and with the help of groups from different countries, it has now become a, a big movement.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I'm I'm excited to read those. I mean, I'm, I will get early copies of those, of course. You know, you can't do like a you know a Stephen King thing with um what was the what was the. Mis uh, misery where you kill off the 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 main character because people will get really mad at that you know they'll get really <laughs> mad. and I don't want anybody coming after you with like a hammer you know because no, you know, no. <laughs> I don't want your number one fan coming and like you know breaking your feet to bring Mercedes Muchacho? back.
0: Uh, <laughs> that wouldn't be nice. No. But let me tell you something. We used to meet at La Quinta de los Molinos in the metaphysical group that I belong to because of course I was. I was in a couple of groups, one was a quaker group and the other one that was related to that mm-hmm. one in a way, but it was called Los Maestros, La Llama Violeta y Los Maestros Ascendidos, mm-hmm. the Violet Frame and the Ascended Masters. And we used to have our meetings during the day at La Quinta de Los Molinos, mm-hmm. uh, that place where something happens, something bad happens in Perseids, because that was... Kind of a protected alien that is that we could be there and nobody would bother us or ask well why are you doing there meditating? But so yeah, now I just remember that. That's where our <laughs> Grupo metafísico used to meet. Uh,
1: and that'll be part of the third book. So um I'm excited. I'm really excited. Brandon's given us the five minutes. Is there anything else you want to talk about with the book, with the series, with your characters? Um I love the book. I, it was very, very, a very fast read, of course. And is there anything that's what you wanted to touch on that we didn't really touch on in the last little bit here?
0: Well, just that I get really attached to my characters. I didn't know this was going to happen. Just with the other books that I have written, well, one book was done. That's it. But mm-hmm. with Mercedes, I kind of, I felt that like she was a friend and Candela. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, no, I need to continue with them, and that's why the second book. And now that I'm almost done with the second book. Yes. And like, I know, we are amiguitas now. Let's go on with the third one. And one thing that I'm doing is I'm going back in time. So like a Perseids. Is a Perseids? No, that's a right word. Perseids? Perseids. Per- well, Perseidas. Yeah. <laughs> that one happens in 2017. Now, mm-hmm. part of the plot of the next one, but part is when mercedes goes back to cuba so it could be 2018 but it's about her mother and that takes place in the 80s her mother is mm-hmm. an american who went to cuba to live in uh the 80s era, the uh, late 80s so is cuba seen during that interesting decade and the third one will probably take place at the beginning of the 20th century mm-hmm. So I think I'm going just like back in time.
1: Yeah. That, that's exciting. And like you said, you get to fall in love with this character and stay with him. I mean, there's characters, well, in a, novels that are not published of mine that I fell in love with. And I'm just like, I wish I could still write about that character, but they're dead. They're dead on my computer somewhere. <laughs> but maybe, you never know. You never know. Um, maybe I'll resurrect resurrect one of my favorite characters that never got published and start again. Um, that's the hope. That's the dream, right? Uh, this is Case Johnston. This is a Literally podcast. We're, po- we're podcasting from the Monarch 1 in, in Historic 25th Street. Uh, our guest today is Teresa Dovalpage and we're, we're talking about her new book Death under the Perseids. It comes out like like uh, December
0: December the 8th yeah yeah
1: so go pre-order pre-orders are so important get pick up the the book and I ho- and we'll be back to talk about Teresa again with book two and three I promise um if she'll have if, if she'll Thank join us so again much. and we we're starting a new project together so shes stuck with me for a, for a while so um, I'm excited. Thank you so much for joining us again. And thank you for the time mess up I had. I I could have sworn I sent it, but uh, my brain's been a little bit crazy, lately. Hey, muchas
0: gracias.
1: All right. Well, thank you. Talk soon.